Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. So um, today's scripture is from Luke 22, and we're going from verse 7 to verse 20. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover meal for us that we may eat it. They asked him, where do you want us to make preparations for it? Jesus, he said to them, listen, he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters, and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs already furnished. Make preparations for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When the hour came, he took his place at the table, and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after the supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Thanks be to God. Morning, y'all. How are you? Uh, my name is Brittany. I'm a pastor here. It's good uh, to see you on this beautiful day after yesterday and the rainstorms. Nice to see the weather up. Uh, I have had a couple of weeks off of preaching, thanks to the brilliant Alicia Crosby and Christian Roldan Johnson over the last two weeks. And then the week before that was birthday party Sunday, and there was so much going on, and we were doing all this co-preaching. And all this is to say that we have had this awesome sermon series called Information. Maybe there's a clip, or not a clip, but the picture. Um, getting, a, what is it, building, creating, what is it, I always forget. Creating a church without walls. And uh, it's an obvious nod to Beyonce, right, and her album Lemonade. And we have not once yet mentioned this. Is anybody shocked by that? No? So I'm going to attempt to fix that today. Um, has anybody seen this album? Is anybody Beyonce fans? Nobody? You guys don't sound very excited. Like, we're going to talk about Beyonce today, and you're like, yeah. 
Um, I'm going to attempt to fix that. Now, uh, here's, here's my sort of place in, in life, just so you know. Um, I downloaded Beyonce's album a couple of weeks ago, and I listened to it quite a lot, but it was only this past week I confessed to you that I actually learned how to watch the movie. I couldn't figure it out before that, so I, I've only seen it once. And um, I also have to confess, you know I'm not a, a pop culture person. I have three albums on my phone right now, um, and I'm just going to be real vulnerable here. I have two Indigo Girl albums, <laughs> a Brandy Carlisle, yes, now we see this full stereotype here, um, and then I have a Tazay music album, and I have a Wow Gospel 2014, and now I have Beyonce. So this is my life, okay? Now you now you see the full, what I listen to. Um, so... I will own that I am I'm new to the world of Beyonce, and uh, I am probably not her intended target with her music, though I will say I was reading Bell Hooks' critique of Beyonce's album, and I think that I am her intended art, uh, audience since I actually bought the album, right? I participated in consumerism. So, so I'm, I'm going to offer what I have to say, and it's one voice in a world. Everybody got an opinion about Beyonce, right? So one voice in a world of that, of, of many voices. So let us uh, begin with prayer. Most holy God, we come to you today looking at the world, looking at scripture, looking at our lives and trying to figure out how they all intersect, what it all means. Open our ears and eyes and mind and hearts to your presence. That in this time we might catch a glimpse of your vision for this world. Amen. So today I want to talk about joy and resilience. Especially as it relates to this hard work of being anti-racist, especially when we look at this world and we see that it is full of pain and heartache. Beyonce's album, Lemonade, points to many things, but as a pastor, I have to say that it points to one of the truths of Christianity, maybe the truth of Christianity, that in the midst of betrayal and pain, God always meets us with resurrection. That's what God does, right? Meets us with resurrection and hope. Now, for those of you that have not yet seen the visual album, it moves the observer through these stages of emotions that happen basically in most relationships, in personal relationships and relationships that we have with institutions. Um, and these are here are some of the stages. They're, they're sort of chapter titles through this movie. There's intuition, there's denial, anger, apathy, emptiness, accountability, reformation, forgiveness, resurrection, hope, and redemption. And it is thought that this album is a reflection of the stages of emotions that Beyonce has felt over her husband Jay-Z's alleged infidelity with Becky with the good hair. Um, People have called, not me, but people have called this album a window into her soul. I will say that this album is a window into all of our souls. 
when we have been met by betrayal and hardship and pain. It is a window into the truth of humanity, into the truth of the human condition, that there is sin in the world, right? People let us down. There's betrayal. There's hurt. Um, that is just part of who we are. We even see it. We don't quite see it in the scripture passage that was read today, but just before, the couple of verses just before what we read today, we see that we know that Judas betrayed Jesus, right? Judas, who was one of Jesus' best friends, closest confidence, most trustworthy disciple. And you might say, like, Brittany, how do you know that? I know that because Judas was the money keeper. And who do you keep your money with? People you trust, right? And so we know that Judas betrayed Jesus. See, it's that thing that happens. We let each other down. We cause pain. We cause heartache. It's just part of the story of what it means to be human. I'm sure that each of you can sit um, where you are and think of a time when you've been betrayed, when someone has hurt you. Perhaps it's been in your marriage. Or maybe it's been a friend who's betrayed you. Maybe someone at work, a work colleague. Or maybe it's been UBC. I'm just going to lay that out there, right? Um, I know that many of you in this congregation uh, felt betrayal, um, betrayed by UBC. I'm just going to briefly touch on that. Over a year ago, we rolled out this ambitious ministry map, right? And, and uh, one of the things that it said is that when we plant Site 5, uh, we want to choose a pastor of color for Site 5. Y'all remember that? I said it from this pulpit, right? And about nine months ago, uh, one of our, the, the founding lead pastor um, at UBC, Trey Hall, he announced that he was leaving uh, to move to the UK at the end of December. And many of us, myself included, made the assumption that we would be able to hire a pastor of color sooner than our ministry map indicated. After this grueling search process, lots of emotions, right? We found the, this wonderful candidate who would have fit into the ethos of our Wicker Park site campus, which is where this pastor was going, and who also was a person of color. We offered him the position, and he turned it down. And uh, to refer back to some of the chapters from Beyonce, we felt empty. He betrayed. And so eventually through this new process, Hannah, our now one-month-on-the-job pastor in Wicker Park, uh, was selected. And she is a great fit for the Wicker Park community. Has have any of you chatted with her or met her yet? She's great. And she's white. And her announcement, especially in this Andersonville site, um, there were a lot of emotions. Um, to use more of Beyonce's titles, there was anger, there was apathy, there was emptiness, and there was ultimately accountability. We had the all-community gathering, right, where we talked about what we were feeling. It was difficult. I sat here, I, I sat in one-on-one -on -one conversations and heard the pain from some of you of that decision, the betrayal of that decision. But because of that honest conversation, because of that, um, those hard conversations, uh, also to use Beyonce, were reforming. Now, UBC is not perfect. Never have we been. 
But um, I am so pleased that one of the things I want to announce today is that um, over this next year, we're going to be partnering with Crossroads, an anti-racism organization in the city of Chicago. Um, they are going to do an extensive audit of our leadership team, of our structures and processes, and give us feedback about how we can better move in anti-racist ways. How we can be more strategic about it. I am so excited for the work ahead. Um, it is a glimpse of God's kingdom. And out of the pain of betrayal that many of us felt, God is going to bring about reformation and forgiveness and resurrection and hope and redemption to steal those lines from Beyonce again, because that's what God does. One of my favorite writers, uh, Joan Chittister, she says it this way, we come to new life by almost dying from the pain that comes with living. And in the end, we are healed by the God who always means our welfare and never our woe. That's sort of what Elizabeth was talking about, right? God always means our welfare and never our woe. This is what God does. This is actually one, this is the truth of Beyonce's al album. And this is the truth that our scripture passage tells us. The festival of unleavened bread, the, the Passover meal that they were preparing, uh, Jesus ate with his friends and he was celebrating and remembering that God had delivered Israel out of bondage. Bondage in Egypt, right? Jesus uses that meal, this meal of remembering getting delivered out of the bondage of Egypt, to celebrate that past point and point to the fulfillment of God's preferred future, of God's redemptive work in the future, right? It's God's promise and resurrection. It's hope. This is what God does, right? God takes pain and suffering of this moment and redeems it. Now, as Christians, we have two signposts that serve as reminders that the God we worship is a God of resurrection and hope and redemption. Uh, another word for signpost is sacrament. So, one sacrament is baptism, right? That is the, the sacrament that... Um, gives us our identity and mission as Christians. We are named and claimed as God's beloved children, as God's chosen people. And with that, then, comes the responsibility of working to bring about the kingdom of God. Right? Working, we have caught God's vision. And so then, what can we do but live into that? Right? This is why we joyfully not drudgingly, but joyfully take up the work of anti-racism practices because we, we have caught a glimpse of God's vision. So in our baptism, we make these audacious promises. Audacious promise. We do things like uh, we, we promise to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, to reject the evil powers of this world, to repent of our sin to accept the freedom and power that God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. These are ridiculous promises. They're huge, right? And there's no way that we can actually do it. But we make those promises anyway because we have this vision for a world in which homophobia does not rule. We have a vision for a world in which 
racism is a thing of the past. We have a vision for a world in which men and women are equals, right? And so we make these ridiculous, audacious, large promises because we catch that vision and we want to live into that. And we know that when we mess up, God's grace is there to fill in the gaps. That God's grace will bring about resurrection, redemption, when we mess up, right? That's what God does. By the way, we are going to be welcoming these new members, and that's a great time for baptism. So if you have not been baptized, um, talk to me, and we can we can chat about that. You you don't have to like be living the perfect life to be baptized. You just have to have a vision and a hope for resurrection in your life. So there's joy in baptism, but um, but it's also fatiguing, right? Like this world is fatiguing. Doing anti-racism work is fatiguing. And so the other signpost that we have, the other sacrament that we have is communion. Holy communion. And it is the meal that sustains us. It's the meal that nourishes us. It's the meal that offers forgiveness when we mess up. It's the meal that um, allows us to, to participate in our journey of salvation, right? So on the night before his death, Jesus gathers his friends for one last meal, one last evening of joy and community to together to help to knowing that like that needs to sustain what's going to happen in the days ahead, because the days ahead were awful, right? So it pulls everyone together and, and reminds them of the strength and the joy and the endurance that they have in community together. That they need each other, right? Jesus knew that it was going to be rough coming up and that the disciples would need that meal to sustain them for years to come. And so then after Jesus' death and resurrection, people continued to gather in Jesus' name and they would remember that night and that meal. And that meal became then a way to encounter Jesus, to encounter Christ, to be a place where they could experience the presence of God and receive sustenance to live out that hard life. So we come to this place tired, right? This is, it, it's hard to talk about this stuff. And there's so many injustices in the world. I was talking to somebody this week and she was just like, everywhere I look, everywhere I look, CPS schools are underfunded, right? Um, what else was she? She was talking about racism in her workplace. She was talking about the church and how it excludes and causes harm to LGBT people. She was talking about economic inequality and how people can't even, like they work hard and they can't even earn enough money to pay their bills. And racism, she, I mean, so many things, right? Like, and she, she's overwhelmed, paralyzed. What do you do with that? How do you, it, it's like we go between like apathy because it's too much or feeling at all. And that's too much too, right? Like, we, how do you live in the sort of middle of that between apathy and overwhelmed? 
communion. Community, people gathered together, and Holy Communion, the meal where we gather together. Where we can catch a glimpse of God's preferred future and vision. Where we can easily live in this world, where we can easily catch God's joy, be reminded of the joy in the work. We need this community, this community of Christ. It's different than a knitting club. It's different than a supper club. We need this place to receive forgiveness, nourishment, healing, transformation. So yesterday was Wedding Palooza at UVC, for UVC. I, was, I had two weddings. And uh, I couldn't make the third. We had two UVC Andersonville family couples get married, and one UVC Wicker Park. And what we got to do in those weddings is celebrate in community this lifelong commitment of joy and fidelity and love. Right? Weddings are powerful. Have you ever been to a wedding and left in a bad mood? Right? They just make you feel joy, right? People from these two different weddings, one of the weddings, there were folks from Korea, Portland, and Denver that came in to witness the audacious promises that the couple was making. In another one, there were folks from Singapore, New York, Hong Kong, coming together to witness the audacious promises that people would make. To witness and find joy in this covenant of marriage. Right? To witness and see this place where heaven and earth kiss and we see God's vision. It was worth the long flight. Right? In Beyonce's album, some of the last images or of her and Jay-Z's wedding. It's their wedding day. They're eating cake. They're laughing. They're smiling. Their marriage covenant is also a place where heaven and earth met in a kiss, where we see God's vision of fidelity and love and care. And that's where she ends the album, despite these the past pain and the alleged, I keep saying alleged infidelities because there's never been like a public statement, right? Even though that has what been what they've gone through, she ended the album looking back to this vision of their wedding, which is also about looking forward to the vision of their marriage. And the only reason we can do that is because of trusting that God will bring about resurrection and hope and redemption because that's what God does. That's what we find in the meal of communion. Jesus gives us a new covenant. And in it we find that same joy and resilience and love that we witness in the marriage covenant. It too is a meal of the past and the present and the future.
It too is a meal that promises in the midst of despair and heartache that Jesus is meeting us with resurrection and hope of resilience and joy, bringing about a new way forward. Because that's what God does. Thanks be to God.